Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach at the All Blacks, Nick Gill. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm going to purposely make sure this intro is nice and short and just let Nick Gill's podcast uh, do the talking, literally do the talking because it is a superb episode with someone who I've stalked for a a long time um, and finally got him lined up. Um, So it's a real privilege to speak to Nick. The raising the bar, like everyone talks about that and everyone's trying to do that. Um, I suppose what, you know, what it does for us, it doesn't mean you keep changing. It doesn't mean you keep try new things all the time sometimes it just means doing something you've already been doing just doing it a bit better so so i think it's just a constant you know review process of hey is that the best thing to be doing are we doing as well as we can do we need to change it but just before we get going just want to say a big thanks to val performance uh force decks and coach me plus for sponsoring this episode today without them the podcast could not run in its current form so massive thanks to those guys. Check them out at valperformance.com, uh, forstex.com, and coachmeplus.com. I hope you enjoy the chat with Nick. I'd love your feedback again. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to love it. Uh, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So absolutely delighted to welcome Nick Gill onto the podcast this morning, who is the strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks. So welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks for having me. That's good to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a little bit of info on your background, um, your education, and what you're currently doing. Um, Currently the strength and conditioning coach of the All Blacks. Um, They've been doing this for about 10 years now. And I'm an associate professor at AUT University in New Zealand, um, where I do a fair bit of uh, research around um, performance. So that's sort of my two main gigs at the moment, um, S&C and um, uh, research. Nice. So what was what happened before the All Blacks? Um, I've been in rugby since 2000, so I've um, been S&C coach for... Uh, coming up 18 years, and um, so I worked with Waikato and, and the Chiefs in Super Rugby. Um, worked with a few Olympic sports, cycling and, and rowing. Um, and before that was basically an academic teacher, teaching and lecturing and exercise prescription and uh, physiology. Um, and I did my PhD in Australia. Um, finished that in about 2001. So, um, yeah, pretty much, you know, went through a bit of time at university, about eight or nine years studying, and then um, have been involved in rugby ever since. Did you do your PhD with Mike McGuigan? Is that how you know Mike? Yes. Yes, I met okay. Mike. Mike was a year into his PhD when I started, so he's a bit older than me. He looks heaps older than me, but um, <laughs> he's about a year older than me. He started his PhD just, just before I did, and um, yes, we were, sort of, we were sort of sharing an office across the hallway from one another, and um, you know, I'd be... I'd be uh, having three coffees to his one because he just had this way of being able to work through the night without too many stimulants, whereas I needed them to keep awake. So <laughs> so one question that I like to ask, especially for, for someone who's been around 
um, especially in rugby for that length of time. What's what's changed, especially with the All Black stuff? What's what's changed um, in, in terms of the role and and how you do things over the over the last ten years working with those guys? Yeah, I think lots has changed. Um, obviously, ten years is a is a fair few test matches. It's sort of about one hundred and forty test matches, I think now. So. Um, I suppose lots of things change, and, and, and myself, you know, I'm more experienced, and uh, I suppose you know the experience brings confidence and and, and ability to, to understand the the role I have, but also the needs of the athletes. Um, the other thing that's changed is just the athletes that we get are, are far more educated, far more professional, um, can tolerate far more. Um, and you know the desire to be the best continues to get greater. So um, yeah, I think lots change. And then obviously around that is just how we we as SNC coaches and sports scientists how we sort of wrap things up and and um, and, and introduce them into our programs and, and and use different methods and ideas to to try and continue to raise the bar. So you know what what we know, how we do it, and what the athletes need is constantly changing. So. Um, you know, every year's very different to the previous year. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that they're probably the key things um, that's changed over the last 10 years. So, so you mentioned the 140 test matches, and we had a little chat about it beforehand, but do you just want to give people a little bit of an idea in the kind of demands and, and um, I suppose, travel and that kind of thing, what you guys have to deal with? Yeah, uh, I think, year I think, year I think, yeah it's an it's a, it's a important thing that, people aren't really aware of but yeah we have um you know we have a super rugby competition which is you know it's only it's only about 16 18 games if you're in the finals um so compared to the northern northern hemisphere it's not a very long professional season but but if you make the all blacks um then that season takes you know grows arms and legs um and, and the biggest thing for for australia and south africa and and argentina who you know play in the rugby championship is um, it's just the, the I suppose, the, the demands of the travel schedule. Um, you know, we do have bye weeks to do the travel, but basically, you know, we've just had three teams play or, or travel to South Africa for the second time uh, for the Super Rugby Finals. And um, and then just around the corner, we, um, we'll basically be heading to Argentina, South Africa, um, back to Brisbane and heading up north um, uh, to play France. So... You know, in a year we cover about 170, 180,000 kilometres. You know, we cross about cross about 180 time zones. Um, you know, so with that comes sleep deprivation, and you're away from your family for 14 weeks. Um, so yeah, it's just pretty tough. She's pretty tough on everyone involved, but um, it is what it is, and it's what we've done for. You know, we've done this for maybe six years now, um, and hence, hence why us. Us, us little folk down in New Zealand and Australia are talking about an international season because it would just change it would just change things a little bit for you know in terms of the demands outside of the game. I mean the game's tough enough, let alone sitting on a plane for twenty hours after a test match um, and having to have it you know adjust to a different time zone of twelve hours. So um, yeah, it's, it's she's pretty demanding. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there about continually raising the bar, and you turn up to every game. Expecting well, everyone expects to win. I suppose you guys expect to win, but every year you see raising the bar. What's that demand like on not only the players but on the staff that you expect to win every single game? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I like the the raising the bar. Like everyone talks about that, and everyone's trying to do that. Um, and you'd sort of be you, you're in the wrong game if you're not constantly trying to get better um, with regards to high performance sport. But um, I suppose what you know what it does for us, it doesn't mean you keep changing. It doesn't mean you keep you know trying new things all the time. Sometimes it just means doing something you've already been doing, just doing it a bit better. Um, so, so I think it's just a constant, you know, review process of, hey, is that the best thing to be doing? Are we doing it as well as we can? Do we need to change it? Um, or do we need to challenge the current paradigms? Um, you know, no different to any, any aspect of business, um, performance, you name it. It's, it's a constant growth cycle of, hey, what's going well, what's not, and what can be done better? Um, and so, you know, when I say raise the bar, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect that every week, um, you know, guys are getting stronger, and every week guys are getting faster. Um, but how we perform, hopefully, as a group, we continue to try to be better. Um, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't, and that's the joy of sport, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one thing I've discussed with people, especially guys over here that have had time over there in either Oz or, or New Zealand, is that um, getting that balance between the kind of physical aspect that we seem to value, well, from their point of view, seem to value more over here than the kind of technical and tactical that you value a little bit more over there. Well, how do you get that balance between the two? Oh, I, I mean, I don't know if the balance is that. I don't, I don't know if it's that imbalanced over in okay. um, <laughs> yeah. the UK or up north. I think it's. Um, I think we've got very different cultures Um you know, and if I think of when I was a young kid in New Zealand, you know, all, all we used to do is kick around a rugby ball and be your feet and run around the farm, and and that was just what you did as a kid. Um, and so, you know, from a really young age of probably five or six, you know, you've got a rugby ball in your hand. Um, you know, and and I imagine in, in in up in Europe, it's you know you've got few other choices. You know, you got you know you got a football or a soccer ball. You know your feet, and you, maybe you're doing that from five or six, and then maybe you get to to a bit of, bit of an older age, and then you start picking up a rugby ball. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Is just we've got different each country's got different cultures. So I'm pretty sure every technical and tactical coach in the UK um, understands and believes how important skill and, and tactics are in game understanding. But it's not something you teach in an hour on the rugby field. Um, you know, a lot of it's a lot of it's you know, about repetition and, and, and time on the field. So um, I, I think the balance is obviously something that we always have to be looking at, how much, you know, how much, and you could be talking about that across the board of the performance environment, you know, whether that's time talking about stuff versus time doing stuff, um, whether that's time in a bus versus, um, you know, finding somewhere a bit closer, whether that's uh, in the gym, um, trying to get stronger and forgetting about the the, the, the technical stuff. Um, I think it all comes down to needs and and, and working out your strengths um, and as well as your weaknesses. And, and and I think we've seen the last twelve months under Eddie Jones that you know the England team um, have have grown arms and legs um, and, and confidence, um, but it would also appear technically and tactically. So you know, it's I don't think the balance is too far wrong. Um, it's just different. Just going back to the travel side of things and, and making the most of that time, is there anything that you employ, uh, like you say, a huge amount of time on planes to actually 
I know it's tough, but ha- maximizing that time that you've got with the guys in, in that in that on the plane or on the bus or whatever it may be. Oh, mate, I, you know, like it's an interesting question because you sort of you, you sort of got to make the decision, don't you? Do you use it to try to improve, or do you use it to switch off and sleep and try to get in the new new time zone as quick as possible? Um, you know, for us, travel has to be more social and more relaxed than anything about the game. So no, not not at all. Like it's an opportunity to have a red wine and have a have a bite to eat and try and have a big sleep. So um, typically, typically we're pretty chilled on our travel. Okay, cool. So obviously, with that, with that, you've been in camp for for such a um, a, a long period of time. How do you ensure that the players come to camp in the condition that? You want them to be an all black? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, um, I, I think I think there's just standards that are expected, you know, and um, we don't do anything as such to try and say, well, this is, you know, this is how we expect you to come in. I mean, some guys, some guys, I don't even know are coming in until I hear. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, because you, you have a couple of injuries in one position, and all of a sudden, some. Some kid comes in that you've never met before, so you're sort of, um, you know, to a degree that the standards and expectations of the environment sort of drive, you know, where you should be when you get here. So some people turn up and they weren't expecting to be here, so they're not maybe not where they should be. Um, and, and others know that hey, when they get here, they have to be in the best shape possible um, because you know, test match footy is very different to to club footy um, at wherever you are in, the, in any country all over the world. You know, test match footy is exactly that. It is an absolute test across the board. And any weaknesses or cracks, whether that's physical, mental, technical, tactical, um, get exposed because you've got the best players from each country and each position playing each other. So she's a she's a, she's extremely tough. Um, and so, yeah, we, we basically have pretty good relationships with our clubs and we try and Try and work together to ensure that the players are in the best shape possible for for the clubs as well as for for the country. Mm-hmm. That, so that, that was my next kind of point: was how how important are them relationships with the clubs? So that obviously they are, but how do you kind of solidify them? Are you visiting these guys when uh, when they're in the club rugby season, or how are you going about that? Yeah, again, changes every year. You know, like um, we've got some really good people working around our clubs in New Zealand, and um, you know, gone are the days of, of lack of trust or, 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 you know, thoughts of incompetence. It just doesn't happen nowadays. We've got really good people and all our clubs doing a great job. And, and, and so, yes, I visit. Yes, we talk on the phone. Yes, we send emails. You know, we communicate quite a bit. Um, but we're also pretty respectful of each, each other's sort of um, time because, you know, it's interesting. When I'm flat out, I've got plenty of time on their hands and when – when they're flat out, I've got plenty of time on my hands, so we sort of um, we never quite on sync. So um, we just we just try to work together as best we possible. And at the end of the day, the the guy with the, the jersey on their backs, our, our number one customer. So we just got to keep trying to work together to to, to help him or her. Mm-hmm. So in this, I mean, take take this week for example. So you had a game on Sunday, or was it Saturday? Saturday, yeah. Saturday, and then you've got another one this weekend. What's what's this week look like? Or what's an example kind of test week look like with a um, kind of Saturday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday turnaround? 
Yeah, so so we always play tests on Saturday, except for World Cup years. So tests are always Saturday. So no matter where we are in the world, we play on Saturday, um, except for World Cup. And so we've always got a seven-day turnaround. And you know, typically it's a tough, tough game. And you know, you take probably three days to recover from a test match if you've played eighty minutes. Um, you know, we we have to travel, so we had to travel back from Australia on Sunday, and we didn't. And then there was no flights direct from Sydney to where we were going, so. We had to charter a plane, and the only time we'd get a plane out of Sydney that was chartered was six o'clock, six o'clock at night. So we didn't get into our next hotel until two a.m. Uh, Monday morning. So you know your week starts from then, two o'clock Monday morning. Um, you get to bed, and then we try and figure out what we're going to do after that. So um, you know, sleep's pretty high on the priority list, and and then we just you know gradually get the guys back on their feet and, and moving again and get in the gym. Um, and then obviously it's a bit of bit of review time, trying to look at how we played and how they played and figure out how we can play better and and um, maybe how they might improve or where they stressed us a little bit. Um, and then the coaches put together a plan to try and try and raise the bar across our performance. So um, yeah, we basically spend a few hours on the training park each day and um, have, have a day off here and there and basically just try and taper into the performance, which is tomorrow night. So we've just finished training now. Um, and, you know, I won't see the guys again um, for about, well, gee, 20 hours. So the boys have got 20 hours to just to themselves now to recover and fill up the tank and get ready for a big battle against the Wallabies on Saturday night. Is there any monitoring that's going on for kind of physical and psychological monitoring in these in these periods in camp? Oh, yeah, you know, we measure lots of stuff. Um, um, uh, what, what, what do we measure? So, you know, just standard stuff, you know, how, how you're sleeping, how you're feeling, um, you know, body weight, um, you know, um, power outputs, um, uh, sprint speeds, things like that, GPS, obviously. Um, so, so we're collecting quite a bit of information. Um, you know, most sessions we've got, we've got some number that have been spat out of us and, and, you know, we'll use that information in whatever way we need to, to try and, I suppose, not manage the individual, but try to help the individual be better for Saturday. So whether that's, you know, less time on feet, more time on feet, more work, less work, eat more, eat less, um, um, you know, how can we help you sleep more? You know, if someone gets sick, so we move, move them out of rooms, you know, so there's constant, there's constant stuff popping, popping up that we react to. And, and again, it's just trying to get a healthy group ready for, for the battle on Saturday night. So, you know, like any high-performing team, you know, we measure so much. We've got so much technology available where everything's been videoed and everything's on an iPad. And um, you know, it's just it's it's crazy. It's crazy, really, the, the the degree of information or the amount of information we can and do get. Um, and it's a big challenge for everyone in in, in high-performance sport is understanding. You know, what's the what's the most important information, and then how do we use it? So. Um, you know, we're constantly tweaking, tweaking with that sort of um, flow, I suppose. You know, what's what's coming across my desk and what am I using to improve, you know, my structures and, and systems to, to help the players. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a massive thing that's changed over the last 10 years. And it's, it's probably a massive thing that's changed the, the role of an S&C coach, being able to decipher that and actually communicate that, whereas maybe before it was obviously wasn't, obviously wasn't. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it has changed a lot, but I think, um, um, 
yeah, we've also been through a phase of people just, you know, being totally, um, you know, um, paralysed by the sheer volume of information and getting lost in, in, in I suppose, the, the complexity of it all. You know, at the end of the day, rugby is a really, really complicated game, um, regardless of the position you play. It's a complicated game with, with numerous different roles and tasks and situations thrown at you in different periods of time and and um, I think a lot of people overcomplicate um, you know how we I suppose how we prepare an individual for that complicated game um, you know and that's just my thoughts but you know it's sort of one of those things where you know what's really going to make a difference at the coalface is um, and, and and you know what numbers are, are critical um, you know, I've even heard people talking about, you know, searching for one number that just tells you where the athlete's at, but I don't think that exists. Um, and, you know, I think experience and relationships with coaches and athletes are just as important as any number that comes across your desk. Just to go back onto the monitoring side of things very quickly, when and how are you measuring the, the power output of the, of the lads between between test matches? Um, once a week, we'll, we'll we'll use some power stuff, um, and you know, and sometimes we'll do more than that. Um, it does sort of depend on, um, I suppose, whether we've travelled, um, you know, the facility we're in. Because again, what people probably don't understand is the All Blacks don't actually have a home. We don't have a base. Um, you know, I have nine suitcases of gym gear that travel the world with us, and <laughs> and and basically wherever we are staying, which is typically in the middle of a big city around the world, um, we find the closest gym possible, and we set up set up home for for the week. Um, so you know, we don't have the joy of being able to to look at power or, or jump jump methods, you know, every morning or when guys get to the base or. Um, or anything like that because, you know, sometimes we're in a club and the club's um, has doesn't even have a, a barbell in it, you know. So we we very much have a um, – we're, we're a travelling circus, to be fair. And um, so, so we, we sort of have to adapt and adjust to, to what's what we've got in front of us. And, and, and I quite enjoy that challenge. It, it is a challenge, but it just, it just means that we, we, we're made to, to run a pretty lean and mean ship. Okay, we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Nick. Um, for, I just want to put it on record and just say a massive thanks to Nick for giving up an hour of his time to speak to me uh, for this episode. Uh, he was in a, uh, the middle of a test series with Australia. Um, so, yeah, massive thanks to Nick for providing his insights. But in part two, we start off with a little bit of a chat around Nick's philosophy, um, which is really interesting, um, and then finish off with some chat around minimizing risk in the in the programs that he gives to the uh to his guys uh, and how that's developed over time uh, and how that may have changed so again just want to say a massive thanks to the three sponsors uh, of this episode val performance makers of the nordboard uh, force decks and coach me plus so make sure you visit them guys uh, and give your thanks to them uh, for keeping this podcast going as it uh, as it is in its current form so back to part two with nick uh, and i'll chat soon so this the, my next point it should have been maybe should have been at the start but just like to touch on your kind of training philosophy as a whole and how maybe how that's developed over over, over your time in rugby yeah i don't know how i'd explain it um in a 
couple of sentences, but I suppose um, when I started out, I was constantly told, you know, your, your job is to make the team bigger, faster, stronger, um, fitter, and more aggressive, you know, and, and if you do that, we'll win a rugby game. And um, and so, you know, I took on the, took on the, the, the challenge to, to try to do that. And I think when I started out, I, I missed the boat quite significantly if I reflect now. Um, you know, I've got a different group of athletes now that I, that I used to work with in the clubs, but, um, you know, I used to chase numbers. I used to chase, chase numbers and, and, and basically constantly evaluate how good a job I was doing by, you know, how many PBs I was getting each week. Um, with the players, you know, so so yes, we got really strong, yes, we got really big, but we also had a lot of injuries um, and whether they are because I wasn't conditioning them right for the the demands of the game um, or whether I was pushing them too hard physically and therefore mentally they weren't right for the collision or um, or you know, or some combination of, of those, so, so I think my philosophy now is all about you know, um you know, strengths and weaknesses and needs of an individual to do their job, um, you know, under pressure and under fatigue. So, so you know, it's got to come back to the game and the person who bench presses the most isn't the best player on the field. The person that runs the fastest isn't the best player on the field. Um, and and so, you know, it's a matter of being the best prepared player um, is what's going to make the difference. And, and that's a combination of the physical and the technical and the tactical um, and the mental. Um, so I suppose, you know, it's it's about an integrative approach to performance versus I'm just worried about the physical number. Um, and if I do that, my job's done. Um, and there's a lot of SNC coaches out there that do that, you know, that, 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 that should judge and pride themselves on, on how strong they can make someone versus how well they can make someone play 12 months a year. Do you think that's do you think that's because of the difficulty of um, kind of judging the success of a strength and conditioning coach? So that's an easy thing to to be able to judge against a, a number. Oh, absolutely. It's, than, like, it's like an, yeah. it's like anything in life. You know, you can you can count it, or you know, you can you can write yeah, down a number and, and okay, you've done your job. But you know, um, it's it's like anything in sport. It's the subjective intangibles that are probably most valuable. You know, because you can't. You can't measure um, someone um, doing a great job from an SNC perspective by straight relation to performance, um, because the performance is a you know is a result of so many factors, um, you know. But I think the balance between you know energy, fitness, strength, injury prevention, soft tissue, collision based, you, you name it, you can get a good feel for. For the quality of an SNC program, and I, and I think the other key thing that hasn't been mentioned is, is the relationships and trust um, of the athletes. Uh, you know, if there's no relationship and, and limited trust, um, it doesn't matter how good an SNC coach you are in terms of writing up a program. Um, guys won't do it when you're not looking. You know, so you know you've sort of got to. You know, it's often we'll ask a, we'll ask someone about a player and what they're up to, and they'll they'll send us a program, and it'll be a beautiful looking program. And you ask the athlete what they're actually doing, um, <laughs> and the athlete doesn't he hasn't even seen a bit of paper before, you know. So, so you sort of, um, you know, it's it's without being too grey, it's 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 not just about numbers. Um, you know, 
just like a coach, a coach, if a coach just looked at numbers like tackle success um, or tries scored or line breaks, well, hey, you might have all the line breaks and have the best tackle accuracy, but you still might not be winning games. Um, so just because you've got good numbers doesn't mean you're doing a good job um, as a coach as well. Um, so, you know, there's more to the performance than, you know, the, the, the game stats or the gym stats. So there's a lot of people that talk about building them relationships with players, but how do you actually go about it? And especially something like in your role where you're all together for a period of time, then everyone disappears for a period of time, then it kind of fluctuates. How do you actually go about building them relationships with the players? Yeah, I used to be pretty, I used to be pretty, um, not overwhelmed, but I used to be quite shy around this group because as a kid, I just wanted to be in all black. So when I started working for them, I was a bit, I was a bit in awe, you know, I was sort of, wasn't quite sure how it was all going to work and how to, I suppose, how to be. Um, but now I've been here for a while. I'm pretty comfortable in terms of, um, in terms of what I do and what what we need to do as a group. But um, I suppose for me, I'm, I'm just, I, I just try to be far more approachable than I used to be. I used to be a grumpy, a grumpy dictator. Versus now, I'm probably a pretty relaxed, um, you know, approachable person that that that. That I want, I want the players to know I'm there to help them, you know. And I'm not a selector, I'm not a rugby coach. I'm there to help them do whatever they need to do, so that they're ready to hiss on Saturday. And and I think it's, you know, I think as soon as players are aware of that, that you're there to help them, you know, breaks down a few walls. And hey, maybe we we build a relationship from there. But um, I think that's the first thing. I just try and be approachable and get to know new guys that come in and. And, and be reasonably relaxed. It's pretty daunting. You get picked in the All Blacks and you turn up here, and it's pretty daunting, you know, like it's pretty full on. And so if, if I can be one part of the machine that's not so full on, then I think that helps. So going back to the physical side of, side of things, what, what physical qualities do you think are the most important? I mean, that's a horrendously open question. <laughs> but um, to, to execute, execute the style of play that the coaches want, um, you to produce the guys to, to execute? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's sort of, it's, it's complicated and, and, and I, I, and I don't mean to be so vague here, but no, no, um, no. we, you know, we, we travel a lot um, and the, the test matches are pretty brutal. Um, and so, you know, managing recovery um, and time away from rugby is pretty important. Um, and there's no special recipe there. It's sort of a lot of it's gut feel. Um, and, and a lot of it is about individuals and knowing the individual. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting programs ready at the moment um, for next week because the guys leave on Sunday for a week at home. So they're scattered around the country and, and um, you know, I give them a program that I think is what they need to be doing. Um, and so, you know, I've got, to, I've got to basically think about that from an individual perspective, what's best for them and where we're heading, but also where they've come from. Um, and... And understand that you know I need the team to come in next weekend um, in one piece, healthy, fresh, and fit. Um, and so you know we, there can't be any risk, and and there's got to be a lot of trust, um, and I've got to get good buy-in. So so I think you know for, for me it's a you know if I was to describe how to measure a successful SNC coach, which is you know what we tried to talk about earlier about numbers and people judging how good they are by how many PBs they get, you know, I'd rather be seen as, you know, my success is getting a squad fit and hold for a whole season. Um, 
and, and having limited injuries, but everyone having the physical qualities to be able to do their job, you know, so the, the props don't need to run like the, the outside backs and, and the outside backs don't need to lift like the props, um, but they all need to be able to handle their roles physically, recover from them quickly um, and do them repetitively without falling over. So um, and when I say falling over, I'm talking, you know, the, the trendy word at the moment is robustness, you know, I like durability, you know, like you want to be a good player, you've got to be durable and be able to withstand the rigours of, of training, travel and, and performing um, repetitively over 12 months. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of they're the big qualities that, that we're searching for is, is, is that, I suppose, the, the, the combination of strength, power, speed and fitness um, with durability and, and collision and under the lows that we're exposed to. Mm-hmm. So I've just written down there, uh, minimising risk, question mark. And yep. that's what's, what's going through your head when you're sending these guys away with the programme to make sure they are actually coming back healthy because that's yeah. obviously the most so, important so, thing. So when I was younger, I'd try and design the hardest, hardest sessions possible to break people. And um, and, and I'm sure there's lots of s coaches out there that, that pride themselves on, you know, you know they, 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 would, they would determine how good a session is by how how broken people are afterwards and how they can hardly move afterwards. And, and I think that maybe sometimes in a year that's, that's, that's important, you know, especially around building team culture. Um, but if you're thinking about long-term performance and growth, it's probably a really big negative. Um, yes, you have to work really hard, but you've got to be smart. And, and I think that, you know, limiting risk is about, well, is that going to genuinely help the player perform in a week's time or is that just me showing how much how tough I am by giving them something quite unrealistic for them to do well um, and so you know minimizing risk is, is about not changing too much not giving them giving athletes too too much different stuff uh, too often um, building familiarity and competition um, is pretty important and so um, yeah I mean that, that's sort of some guiding principles I suppose how were the guys reacting when you were in the phase of trying to break them? Were they happy with that, or was there any kind of? Oh, that was back? before I came to the All Blacks. But that's, oh, that's okay. okay. Yeah, that was that was before I came to the All Blacks, and it was very much uh, because I thought to be successful, I had to produce massive numbers, and the only way to get good numbers was to absolutely thrash people. And and you know, people, people, it's pretty hard to quantify, especially in, in a collision-based sport with with big, powerful people, but pretty hard to quantify the, the central nervous system load that that goes through any particular play when it comes to, you know, gym training or strength training, power training, speed training, aerobic training. You know, like it's a pretty complicated beast we're trying to build. You know, you're 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 a runner or a triathlete, well, you're pretty much exposing the body to one stimulus. You know, you're just trying to trying to build endurance the whole time. But when you're trying to build up rugby players, you you sort of Typically, most of us are, are throwing so many stimuli at them, the poor body doesn't know how to adapt. You know, Am I trying to get stronger or am I trying to get quicker or am I trying to get fitter? Am I trying to get leaner? Am I trying to get bigger? You know, We're throwing all these different stimuli at the, the athlete. Then we're, we're creating a lot of noise for the, for the body to try and interpret, as, interpret and, and create adaptations too. Um, so I don't know if anyone's sort of nailed that just yet around, you know, that, that, that recovery cycle of the different modes of training we throw at, at rugby players. Um, yeah, and then you've got the collision to recover from. So, you know, she's quite a tough sport to, to prepare athletes for, and that's why I love it. 
Um, you know, she's pretty complicated. Each person needs different stuff at different times, and they adapt to all those different things at different rates. So, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of science to be learned yet. So you mentioned triathlon now. You're a, you're a big triathlon guy, aren't you? Oh, I dabble, mate. I dabble. I do a triathlon <laughs> once a year. Yeah, I try, I try and when I'm not when I'm not away with the team, I'm sort of um, yeah, I'm trying to swim, bike, run once once or twice a week, mate. Nice. Just one competition a year. Yeah, that's all I got time for, mate. Do Ironman in Australia. I do Ironman Australia in May. So yeah, I've spent about four months getting ready for that. So that's my sort of that's my downtime. Nice. Well, I'm going to round up there because I know you've uh, it's Friday night for you, so I'll, I'll let you get on. But I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Um, I know you're not a kind of big social media guy, but um, where can people find you if they want to? Or is it best not to? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. I've yeah, got a okay. website, um, uh, Um and I'm on, I'm on Insta as well. Um, and... Um, my address on Insta, um, Nick Girl Health and Performance. So, um, yeah, feel free to, if you if you, anyone's got any questions, to drop me an email on the contact form on my website and, um, yeah, I'll see if I can help you out. Um, but thanks for having me, mate. Much appreciated. No, I appreciate it, mate. No, it's a pleasure's all mine. Awesome. Well, good luck tomorrow and, okay. um, and we'll keep in touch and, and chat soon. Okay, mate. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, Cheers pal. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 151 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that fantastic episode with Nick Gill. So again, thanks to Nick for giving up his time. Uh, Also, thanks again for the sponsor of the podcast, uh, Valve Performance, Force Dex and Coach Me Plus. Got some really good guests coming up over the next couple of weeks um, from the other side of the Atlantic. Um, So it's from, from the US. So really excited to get some guys on from from a couple of sports that I've not um, not delved into yet so really excited for that so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player app uh, and you'll get automatic downloads of each podcast so thanks again for your support really appreciate it and I'll speak to you soon